All right, I've got some good news. Today is the last day that we preach in the book of Acts. 47 weeks we've been studying the book of Acts, and so it's been a, it's been a great journey. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles turned there, we're going to cover the last two verses in the book of Acts today. Uh, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Listen, we've been in this study since January, and what we've seen in the book of Acts is basically the church gets started, Right? Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes, the first sermon's preached, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, and it just continues and continues through different um, people leading and speaking into it. There's persecution, there's division, there's all kinds of things that go on in the book of Acts. And there's just action after action after action after action, and Acts ends incredibly abruptly. Because if you read the book of Acts, it's an action story. And then Luke just brings it to a crashing close at the end of chapter 28. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're just going to read these two verses. Joe thought he was cute. He thought I would preach shorter if he just gave me two verses. So <clears throat> so here's what it says at the end of the book of Acts. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there. That's in Rome, in his own rented house. And he welcomed all who came to see him boldly. And without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. You could be seated. It just ends, right? All of this, all of this struggle and all of this fighting and Paul arrested in Jerusalem, two years in Caesarea, right? The, the, the almost maniacal mission to get to Rome finally gets to Rome, right? And it just says, Paul lived there for two years in his own rented house. He was a prisoner in this place, and he taught Jesus boldly and without hindrance, right? And I thought, well, how am I supposed to preach for an hour on those two verses, right? It's going to be complicated. So I began to study because what I wanted to know was, what did Paul do for two years, right? Well, here's what we know about Paul for two years. Paul wrote 13, 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament were penned by the Apostle Paul. And of those 13, seven of them, over half of them were written while Paul was in prison in Rome. He was active. And he was active to the point that he said things like this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In a Roman prison, he said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. In a Roman prison, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And I wondered to myself, how did, how did he do that? And I did a little digging archaeologically into Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And so I want to show you a couple of these pictures. And so this was a, this is a, a, a first century, basically a first century handcuff that Paul would have worn in part of his imprisonment and in his chain. Uh, this is in a museum that you can find. I would love to tell you which museum, but I don't know, right? Uh, but this was this is found. This is a really cool uh, find archaeologically. It's a lot of these digs. Obviously, if you know anything about archaeology, archaeology they are underground, and so you find the digs. This is a what this is called is an insula, all right? And what this is is these are apartments in first century Rome, 
these, these littered Rome. And so basically there were five to seven stories, uh, high. And on the first floor, street level was a shop. And then the shop owner would live at the second level. And then the next three or four or five levels would be these one room apartments that were used to incarcerate prisoners, right? Under house arrest who were awaiting trial. There's these all over. Lots of archaeologists and historians believe that it was in a place like this that Paul spent those two years. Here's another one. This is the actual chain that that many historians believe and archaeologists believe that the Apostle Paul wore in his imprisonment in Rome. Now, here's the thing about prison in Rome. Right? Prison in Rome isn't like today. So don't think of today because our prisons are full of people that have gone through trial and now they're serving their time. That didn't happen in Rome. Okay? At the time in the first century, Rome had one prison. Right? Rome, a city of three to four million people had one prison because prisons weren't used in Rome to incarcerate people. They were used in Rome to hold people for trial or Once they were tried and convicted, they were put in there to face execution. So it wasn't like you did a crime, you got 10 years and they put you in a Rome prison. Did not work that way in Rome. And so this this next one here. So in Rome, prisons were called carcers, right? No big deal. But basically they were two stories. On the top story, which was the street level, was this rectangular room. It was about 30 feet by 22 feet. And in it, people were held, right, as prisoners who were awaiting trial, right? And so this room would be packed with people who were being held, okay? But most historians believe that it's the second level, the one below this, that the Apostle Paul stayed in. Because if you'll... There, here it is. So if you'll notice here, so now this isn't a, this isn't a rectangular room. This is a circular room. And if you notice the hole up here in the ceiling. So that's how prisoners were dropped into what they called the Tertullian dungeon, right? Or Mamertine prison. And so people who were convicted and were on basically death row waiting execution were dropped through this hole and they were kept in this prison, right? And Almost all historians believe that it was in this prison and a prison like this that the Apostle Paul spent the remainder of his days before being beheaded. Now, the crazy part about it is when you do some research, I don't know what you know about the Roman Empire, but these were nasty people, right? These were nasty people. Nero, right, was a nasty individual, right? A lot of historic evidence that would suggest that Nero set fire to Rome so he could rebuild his version of it, right? But the rumors got so bad in Nero's day around 64 AD that he decided he couldn't get the rumors that he started the fire to start, so he found a scapegoat. And he's the one that began the torture, right, of Christians in the city of Rome, lighting them on fire, right? He would light the Ignatian way with bodies of Christians that had been dipped in tar, and then they would be lit up to light up the road. This was an evil, evil empire. And it's in this prison that most historians believe that Paul spent the remainder of his days, dropped through a hole and put into this place. This place had a door that was connected to a sewer that that Rome would dispose of its dead criminals into that river. 
Now, if you'll notice, there's no facilities in here. There's no sink. There's no bathroom, right? There wasn't a place for these prisoners to use the facilities. So they had to do it in this room. And doing some research in Rome, this hole, right, was the facility for the prisoners that were upstairs. So these people, right, would use this hole, the upstairs prisoners, and they would use that hole, right, for their bathroom use into this prison. And it's in this space that almost every historian believes that the Apostle Paul spent the remainder of his days. And it's into that space that Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I wanted to know one thing. How did he do it? How did he do it? I drive somewhere and some moron gets in the road in front of me and doesn't know how to drive. And I have no concept how to rejoice in the Lord, right? I lose my mind, right? And yet in this space, the apostle Paul, wrote words to the effect, it is better for me to live because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we get frustrated when the server brings our order out wrong or, or something else happens where the coach doesn't play our kid at the soccer match and we have no idea how to find our peace and contentment and yet it was in this space that I realized how inadequately prepared I was to preach about the Apostle Paul, because in almost 40 years of studying the Bible, this is the first time I think Paul's ever been a human to me in the sense that I could finally see him or feel him because I have no idea how that happened. And do you know, if you're not a Jew in this place and you know Jesus, or if you're online and you know Jesus, do you realize that the reason that we know Jesus is because of the Apostle Paul? He is the sole reason we are his disciples. And that man spent his last remainder writing over half of his letters from a Roman prison and said things that I can't even imagine. So I wanted to know, how did he do it? How did he do it? And the Lord gave me what I believe are three answers that I just want to share with you that I think hopefully will be a help. Here's the first way that I believe that Paul did it. He did it with help from other people. Right, He did it with help from other people. Let's just read some verses here. Okay, I just want to go to Colossians, Mike. Just do the Colossians passage. So at the end of Colossians, and, and you know, I've, I've read the Bible multiple times, right? You get to the epistles, and at the end of every letter, whether it's Philippians. So Paul wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. A lot of people believe in his first imprisonment and then first and second Timothy and Titus in his second imprisonment in Rome. But he wrote these letters and at the end of the letters, he always talks about these people, right? He says, so-and-so says, hey, and -and so-and-so says, hey, right? And I didn't really care. 40 years, they never meant anything to me until this week. This week, things began to make sense to me because this man was in that prison. And here's what he says about these people. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. 
I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus was clearly in Rome with Paul during the imprisonment. He's sending him to Colossae and here's his purpose. I want him to tell you what's going on and I want you to be encouraged by what you hear. I spent one night in jail. Nobody would have been able to leave that jail and tell other people an encouraging story about how I was handling it, right? And yet he hopes that Tychicus will encourage other people in his circumstances. I can't even understand how this happened. It says he's coming with Onesimus. Onesimus was the runaway slave who's the topic of the letter of Philemon, right? Our faithful and dear brother who's one of you. They'll tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Mark, if you'll remember, when we studied Mark in Acts 13, went on the missionary journey, was a cousin of Barnabas. The work got too hard. He bolted and went home. And when it came time to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas said, let's grab Mark. And Paul said, no way, he's a bailer, he's a quitter, I don't want him. And they had a fight that was so bad, Bar or, or Paul, right, and Barnabas split up, and Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took Mark. And now all these years later, in prison, he says, Mark is there with him, right? The cousin of Barnabas. He says, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you in Colossae, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, right, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus since his greetings, he's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God and mature and fully assured. He said, I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those that Laodicea and Oropolis. Our dear friend Luke, obviously the author, the doctor, and Demas sent his greetings as well. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Give my greetings to the brothers. Oh, that's it, right? And, and you can read it in Ephesians. You can read it in Philippians. But here's what God showed me this week. One of the ways that God was able to work through Paul and Paul was able to survive in those conditions and not just survive, but write half of his letters from those conditions was that he had help from other people. He had help from other people. I got a text this week from somebody I've known my entire life and they sent me a picture in the text and it was a, it was the headline from a paper back in 1978 and it said blizzard of 1978. Right? So is there anybody here that's, that went through the blizzard of 78 in the Midwest? Right? If you were there, it was quite a deal. Right? It was amazing. But this person sent me that picture and they asked me, they said to me, right, do you remember anything about it? Of course, you know, you live in Illinois and you have a blizzard once in your entire life. You remember it. Right? It had a lot of familiarity to me. But here's what I was, here's what I was reminded of as I was studying this sermon about that text. The only connection I had to that person is my past. Way, way, way back in the day, there was a connection with this person. But in my present, in my present, there's no connection to this person other than, hey, can we talk about the past? What Paul had in that Roman prison were people who were active in his present. These were people that he said comforted him, encouraged him, prayed for him. In the Roman prison, you had to supply your food. 
There wasn't three square meals and a library and a fitness center where you went to the yard and worked out. You had to have people in the community that brought you food and paid for you. Paul survived and even thrived because he had people who were there with him. You see, one of the things that COVID has done to a lot of people in church, it's happened in our churches across the globe, is that lots of people still out of fear are still feeling to begin to meet together, right? Listen, I don't know about you, but there's been time in my life where I, I, I felt like I was in prison, right? There's been times in my life where I felt like I've been in chains and circumstances haven't been good. And I don't know about you, but my tendency when those things happen is to withdraw and isolate, right? I, I don't want, I don't want to be around people. You see, the mistake that we make as believers is we fail to understand exactly how important other people are to the success of our life spiritually. Right? It's nice to have somebody to go to the game with. It's nice to have somebody to eat a meal with. But you want to know, you want to know who those people are that count and that matter. They're the people who are there with you when everything else falls apart. And for some of you, you've never, listen, you've never experienced that because either your pride has gotten in the way or your pain is so great, you don't want to share it. And one of the things that COVID has done is, is, is it has allowed us to begin to see, and we'll see it more so in 2023, all the damage that's been done to us as individuals because we've been isolated from other people. Now listen, I love online service. I've used online services Many times driving through Kentucky, I've had my phone up and I have streamed to Mocha while I'm driving home on the Penny Rail Parkway. But online services, as great as they are in a pinch, they are not a substitute for being in space with other people, right? Because listen, there's nothing, there's nothing that's more important and more valuable in this church than you. Do you realize there are people who simply come to church to be encouraged by seeing you in your seat? They may never say anything to you, but there are people here who benefit by your presence. They pull into that parking lot and they want to see your face. They walk down to children's and they drop their kids off. They want to know you're there. There are people within this space that have experienced what it means to have people around them, right? Because listen, none of us do this by ourselves. I mean, can we not agree that life is really, really hard just on its own? Yes. Man, there's no getting around it. And listen, the best thing that can happen to you if you partner with us at Tomoka is that you find other people to do life with. Listen, it's part of the reason why we push groups so hard. God made people to be connected to him first and to each other second. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. There are two primary connections that God works through. And lots of believers love this connection, but they fail at this connection. Because they think this space is enough. It's not. Paul would have never, ever made it had it not been for people like Tychicus and Epaphras and Epaphroditus and Mark. He would have never survived. Those conditions that I barely, barely gave you a glimpse into, he'd have never survived it had it not been for those people. Let's read a couple passages here. Listen to Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Paul writes, Brothers, 
if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. And then he says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, he goes on to say, everybody's got to carry their own load. Listen, I don't know what your load is, or your load is, or your load is, or your load, or your load, or your load. But I know this, I've got to carry my load, and you've got to carry your load. But there are lots of burdens that we can help other people carry along the way. And for some of you, the missing piece of your walk with Jesus and your partnership with the local church is you just haven't found those people that you can partner with that will bear your burden, right? And for some of you, it's just as simple as being here. And for others, it's just as simple as asking. I mean, listen, if you're a parent, you've gone through this fight a million times with your child, right? You say to them all the time, listen, if you need anything, you just let me know, right? I'm here for you. And how many times as a parent are you frustrated because you're convinced your child needs something and they just won't tell you. They just keep it from you. Listen, there's so many people like that in church. And the one thing that I want us to get past in COVID is the fear, the fear of what COVID can do that compromises our faith so that we're not in fellowship with one another. Because this right here, this is what allows us to do what God wants us to do, for God to do in us and through us. This is why this is so stinking important. And then I want to read the passage in Hebrews 10 says this. The writer of Hebrews says, let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let's not give up. Let's not give up meeting what? Together as some are in the habit of doing. You're not saying that sometimes it doesn't happen. Listen, there are days where this is just, this just isn't the space to be. There are days you can't be here. There are days you're traveling or there's days you're sick or maybe there's days where it just doesn't fit. But that's not what he's talking about. He says, bring that verse back up, Mike. He says, don't do it as a habit, right? Don't get in the habit of not meeting together. Why? Because there is power in us doing this together. He goes on to say this. He goes, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, how many of you think the world's getting darker every day? And I don't want to ask you how many of you believe Jesus is going to come back in your lifetime. But my guess is many of you who've studied scripture believe that we're closer to Jesus' return than we've ever been. Amen. Here's what he says. As you see that day coming, the last thing you need to do is stop being together. What a genius thing with Satan that he's able to use COVID to keep believers away from each other. Man, we've got to get away from that because we need each other. And Proverbs seventeen seventeen says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother or a sister is born for adversity. Listen, I don't know about you, but the one thing that stuck out to me was those names at the end of those letters that I'd read over for years. They finally meant something to me this week because I realized Paul would have never, ever survived had it not been for other people. And I guarantee you the same has been true for me and it's been true for you as well. Here's the second thing that I believe that Paul had that allowed him to survive. He did it by forgetting what was behind and pressing on to what was ahead. Listen to this verse. This is Paul describing his life. Second Corinthians chapter four. He says, to my shame, or Second Corinthians 11, excuse me. He says, to my shame, I admit that we're too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, he says, I'm speaking as a fool now. I'm going to boast about as well. 
He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to be talking like this. He says, I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again and again. He says, five times, not four, not three, five times I received from the Jews, his countrymen, the 40 lashes minus one. So five times with a whip covered with rocks and glass and bits of metal, right? He took 39 lashes across his back five different times from his own countrymen, he says. He goes on to say this, three times I got beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned, we saw that, right, in the book of Acts and left for dead. Three times, not once, but three times I was aboard a ship that wrecked. He said, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false prophets. He says, I've labored, I've toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold, and I have been naked. And besides everything else, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Listen, if there was a man that had stuff in his past he could have hung on to and blamed others for, it was Paul. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was taken once, if I was taken once... And I was beaten with a whip 39 times from people who knew me. I'd be angry. Yes or no? Paul had that in spades. Not to mention the stuff that he wrote about that happened to him while he was in prison. One of his dear friends, Demas, that he mentioned in Colossians, right? Who was there with him. He writes in 2 Timothy, Demas has left me. He's fallen in love with the world and he's abandoned me. Paul wrote about Alexander, a metal worker, to the Colossians and said, This man has done me great harm. God will punish him. We have any idea what he suffered in Roman prison. We have a glimpse of the stuff that he suffered prior to that. And here's what I know. That Paul wrote the book or the letter of Philippians while in jail. And you know what he said? He said this in Philippians 3. He said this, starting in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect. He said, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Listen, just listen, just online in here, just close your eyes for a second and picture this man in that prison chained either to a wall or to a Roman guard in a space where there's no facilities, there's no cleaning up, and these other people are defecating in your space. And listen to the words that Paul wrote, a man who was whipped five times, a man that was chased, a man that was beaten and left for dead. And listen to the words that he says. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He says, but the one thing I do, I forget what's behind And I strained toward what is ahead. And I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's crazy. Right? From a Roman, from a Roman prison. He wasn't even guilty, people. We haven't even talked about that. He wasn't even guilty. The reason he was being held was they couldn't figure out a reason to try him. 
And the reason that most people believe that he finally was, was released after these two years was because the Jews never came to Rome to press charges. And in that, he said this. Here's the one thing I do. Not one of many things I do, but here's the one thing I do. I forget what's behind. Listen, for some of you, it is the single biggest reason why you can't have a relationship, at least one that works. It's the single biggest reason why you can't move forward in your faith. Because for some of you, right, you can forget that too. And let's move on, right? <laughs> right? For some of you, right, for some of us, listen, you can't have a conversation because every conversation, you've got to bring all of the past with you. You've got to bring every hurt with you. Listen, I'm not, listen, I'm not going to, minim, I'm not minimizing your hurt, but I'm not going to minimize the word of God for your hurt or for mine. Listen, the Bible doesn't say forgetting is an option. The Bible says you forget what's behind. And for some of you, you've, you're like that sweet, dear woman back at your home church that everybody said, oh, Mabel, she's just a worrier. As if it was okay for Mabel to worry, ignoring the word of God. Listen, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay that we won't forgive and let go of the past. It's not okay that we hang on to it and we recite it as our resume. Listen, I have no idea the hurt that you've experienced. You have no idea of the hurt that I've experienced. We all have past. We all have people in our past. We all have these fights. But Paul said, here's the one thing I do. Sitting in prison, going through the resume of all the stuff that's happened to me. And you know what I do? I forget what's behind and I press on to what's ahead. Listen, for some of you, every moment in your life, you bring every piece of baggage from your past with you. And every person in your life has to deal with it. I talked to my dear friend this week, and they had a big brouhaha in their family to where he decided to unload. You know, holidays are wonderful times, right? <laughs> he decided to unload upon his siblings every hurt that he had kept score of over his lifetime of 40 some years and kept his sisters up till after two thirty in the morning. And eventually one of his sisters, his younger sister or his older sister said to him, I have no idea what you're doing here. She said, but you're going to have to let some of this go. And he looked directly at her and he said this, no, I don't. And I thought to myself, how sad, but how true that is for so many of us. We come to church, we watch online, we hear sermons about forgetting and forgiving, and yet we can't do it. And listen, I'm going to tell you this. When you forgive the way you should biblically, people are going to look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Why would you let them get away with that? Right? Why would, listen, <laughs> ain't nobody getting away with nothing. Do you realize what you got away with? If you've accepted Jesus in here, if you've accepted Jesus online, let me hear you say Amen. Do you realize that God not only forgave you for what you've done, he has forgotten it every single day, every day. God only not only removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Scripture tells us he remembers it no more. Right. Listen, it's not an option. It's tired. Listen, it's time to stop playing that game. If there's territory in your life that you haven't given up because of your past, it's time for you to give that to the Lord. Paul would have never survived in prison if he kept score. Listen, 
There's too many scorekeepers in church, too many scorekeepers in marriage, too many scorekeepers when it comes to children with their parents, when it comes to parents with their children. Listen, we got to stop that because if God kept score, we'd be done. And yet he doesn't. The Bible says he imputes the righteousness of his son to us and he does that free of charge and he does that because he can forgive us of our sins. Listen, it's time for some of you watching online, some of you in here to stop hanging on to the past and forget what's behind so you can press on to what is ahead. Does that make sense to you, church? Paul forgot it so that he could press on. And here's the last one. He did it by staying on mission. So how many of you had a good Thanksgiving? All right. Very good. My favorite holiday, right? Thanksgiving. I love it. The problem with Thanksgiving is it always happens to come at a moment where you're trying to lose weight, right? <laughs> you know, and it's, listen, you know, I, you know, I'm almost 60 years old and the body just doesn't function the way it did at 40. So you people that say age is just a number, I'm going to hit you. Okay. Because my knees don't feel like age is a number, right? My back don't feel like age is a number. And my metabolism certainly doesn't feel like age is a number. But I've been trying to watch my weight. I'm going to tell you something. When there is fresh baked cherry pie, it was, I'm going to be honest with you, it was really hard to stay on mission of losing weight. And I decided the best way to do it was to finish it all in one day. So, so I decided if I was going to get on mission on Friday, the best thing we can do on Thursday night when everybody was in bed was eat those last three pieces of cherry pie with Cool Whip. Take it, take it, right? And I did. Now, I did wake up Friday morning with a stomachache, right? But no more cherry pie, right? Listen, it's hard to stay on mission. Right? But Paul did. Listen to these verses in, in Ephesians. Don't do the Ephesians one there. Right? Go to the next one in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, he says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Right? God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. He goes on in verse 12 and he says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, again, in prison, in prison, in Rome. Right? Not a great set of circumstances. He says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. The praetorium guard was 10,000 soldiers strong in Rome. It says it's become known throughout the entire guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Jesus. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul never lost sight of mission. And then in Philemon, it says this in verses 8 through 11. Therefore, although I am in Christ, Paul writing to Philemon about his runaway slave, he says this. For though I am Christ, I could be bold and order you, Philemon, to do what you ought to do. He says this. I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Listen, the most important thing that Paul did was he never lost sight of mission. Ever. Listen, I love... Tomoka Christian Church. Not because it's perfect. 
Because if you could sit up here and see all of you, you would know this is not a perfect place, right? You sit there and look at me and Joe every week and you know it's not a perfect place. We're not here because this is a perfect place and because everything goes our way. You know the thing I love about Tomoka is, is that the leadership, listen, to some people's frustration, the leadership refuses to lose sight of the mission. The mission's clear for us every single day. The goal is to get the gospel into as many people's hands as possible because God wants everybody to repent and nobody to perish. My favorite thing about Tomoka is that we stay on mission. You stay on mission. But for some of you, listen, the most important thing you need to do is you need to figure out how to stay on mission. The thing that kept Paul alive was he said, in prison... The gospel has been advanced and I can advance it every day, no matter where I'm at, no matter what my circumstances are. You know what? It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. God can use those circumstances for the purpose of the gospel. And here's the thing I want you to know. Did you hear what he said? He said, everybody's been encouraged to speak the word of God more boldly because of what you're go- what I'm going through. You know what happens when you go through some really hard times? People watch you. They watch you. How did these people get encouraged by Paul? They watched. They paid attention. See, parents, when you're going through difficult times and you're here every Sunday praising Jesus, serving him on the mission field, and then you go through tough times at home, your children are watching. They want to see how real your faith is when things get hard. They want to see what your faith actually means when you're not in the show. You see, that's why a lot of kids lose faith in Christ. It isn't because the church isn't a, isn't a great place. I mean, come on, man. This is, that's ridiculous. You know why it's unappealing? It's because their parents come to church and they put on a show. But at home, when things get hard, they have no connection to their faith, no trust in Jesus in those moments. And our kids watch. They watch and they watch and pay attention. People watched Paul. Listen, when you're going through difficult times, you've got influence whether you know it or not. But you won't if you don't stay on mission. Everything in this world is designed to keep us from mission. Everything. Right? Paul's circumstances could have easily gotten him off mission. But he didn't. I have no idea how the Apostle Paul did what he did. But I have a better understanding now before I ever ask that question. I want to read Matthew chapter 9. I think it's a fitting verse to close out our series in Acts called Sent. So I'm just going to ask you to read this with me in Matthew 9. Here's what Jesus said. He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues. He preached the good news of the kingdom and he healed every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because these people were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He said this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Listen, that's my hope for all of us, that we will live lives that were sent, just like Paul did. And even if the circumstances are hard, right, even if they're hard, you and I will be able to do it because we have help from other people, because we forget what's behind, and because ultimately we never lose sight of mission.